Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Alarmy. Before we get started, we wanted to make sure you heard the big news. The Alarmist has joined Patreon. Patreon subscribers will get access to our content ad-free, as well as our aftermath post-interview discussion and final verdict. We'll also be putting out additional bonus episodes and other fun stuff. Here's a preview of our Little Alarms series, only available on Patreon. And this is my little alarm. Okay. Is that I have a reaction to something and I don't know what it is. Mm. I will give you guys a couple of options and maybe we can do a poll to the Patreon <laughs> subscribers. What? We love a poll. We love a poll. What do you think Chris ha- got hives from? And oh. I'll give you a couple, three options. Okay. Okay. Now I had shrimp for lunch. Okay. But this mm. happened at 9 p.m. So I don't okay. think it was the shrimp. A few I think hours. It- I had shrimp for dinner. Last night, mm. and I don't have hives now. Right, well, ruling okay. that out for you. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Patreon.com/slash/TheAlarmist and subscribe today. Now on to our episode. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy, and each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado Smith, and this is the Aftermath. The Aftermath. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today we're speaking with guest expert Eric R. Ebel. Eric is a Washington State historian and author of Winter at Truckee Lake, a historical fiction account of the members of the Donna Reed Party. He is also the host of the Washington State History Podcast, Washington Our Home. 
Let's hear what he has to say about the Donner Reed party. Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Now, I was wondering what drew you to researching the part, the Donner Party in, in, in the first place. I, I, I find it interesting that it was your actually your first uh, book and the first topic that you decided to uh, write about. That is an interesting story. Yeah, I uh, was looking for a book project and I've always been fascinated with history. And I found a publisher who was looking to do stories that were gritty American history, things mm. that people might not have covered before, you know, <laughs> things that were real, but that haven't necessarily been uh, touched on because they might have been a little too icky, you know, <laughs> to 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 talk about a little too taboo. But, you know, to be truthful, history is messy. You know, history is ugly. History can be disturbing. Uh, and and the publisher I was working with wanted to approach those topics with, um, you know, a, a sensitive lens, but not shy away from them. And so they reached out to me and asked me, you know, are there any topics you were you'd be interested in? Uh, and so, I, you know, I gave it some thought. Salem witch trials came to mind, uh, you know, uh, certainly um, some of the incidents that happened uh, between Native American tribes and, and you know, the U.S. Army uh, came to mind. Uh, but then I thought about the Donner Party and I thought, you know, that's something that's always sort of fascinated me. And I've never really known enough about it. And I think that's a story that uh, really should be told mm -hmm. because of the depth of not only emotion, but psychological uh, just tension, I think, mm. that took place uh, in that in that story. And 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 the fact that it was a real thing that happened to people of all ages yeah. you know, here in America. And so so that's the one I landed on. And, and that's what drove me to tell that story. It's wild. Yeah. Um, so, so the Donners, they you know, they, it's 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 1846. They set yeah. out west. It's mid-May, from what I've read, uh, and 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 from my understanding, their departure was pretty late for a group to set off on a journey that um, it, usually yeah. took four to six months, right? Um, yeah. And what was wait, unusual? Anyone, yeah. Anyone who's ever played the Oregon Trail video game growing up knows that you get to make a choice whether you leave in the early spring, the mid spring, or sort of the pushing on summer. And that decision kind of determines how you fare in the video game. Well, the reason you get to make that choice in the video game is because that decision in real life can affect how you fare in westward migration. And the Donner Reed party, unfortunately, chose to leave later in the season. They left in the late, late spring. And, you know, because of that, coupled with a series of unfortunate circumstances and bad decisions that were mm -hmm. made along the way that caused a number of delays, uh, led to the fact that they were way behind schedule by the time they got to the Sierra Nevada mountains and they got stuck in the snowstorms of winter. Now, I, I, we're going to get to all of those series of events, but before, even before, I, I would like to get some context on, well, what, what are some of the reasons that, you know, groups or families might decide to pack up and head out west yeah. during this time period? 
Yeah, great question. So back in the uh, 1840s, really as early as the 1820s, 1830s, there was a sense in the United States uh, of, of a, needing to expand the country, needing to, there was a concept called manifest destiny. Manifest destiny was this sweeping desire to see the new-ish country of the United States stretch from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you have to remember Lewis and Clark had uh, just recently, as, as recently as uh, 1805 and 06, found the Pacific Ocean uh, on the other side of the continent. And so only 15 years later in the 1820s, you know, there was this idea on the East Coast that, hey, maybe we on the East Coast should have our people stretch all the way across to the Pacific Ocean. So there was this idea that was sort of fomenting on the East Coast that, uh, you know, we should be packing up and, and spreading our, our, our peoples across this land. Um, it, it became such a fervor that, that there were artists painting, you know, pictures about it. There were, uh, 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 you, you know, if you, if you do a quick Google search about Manifest Destiny, you'll come across all kinds of uh, not only um, literary works, but, uh, but, you know, artistic works, uh, just sort of, you know, stirring up that, that uh, nationalism of, 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 you know, pa patriotism and, and, and really there was this drive to, to, to move the country forward by moving it west. Uh, and so, so there was, uh, it, it was seen as your, sort of your duty to, to spread the country as far west as you could. Um, and so everybody uh, who, who couldn't really make a successful go of it in the Midwest or in the East, uh, you know, saw it as an opportunity for themselves and their family to uh, try for a better life out mm. on the West Coast. And so the, the best thing they could do was sell everything they had, uh, invest in a couple of wagons, pack it all up and head to wow. California. What a time. And, yeah. and, and who was the who was part of the Donna Reed party? Um, yeah. How, how large was it? How many families? Uh, why did they come together? Who were some of the main players? Yeah, good question. So the, it's interesting because a lot of times people refer to it as the Donner party. Uh, but really, uh, you know, Donner Reed party is what it should be called because James Reed uh, really was the de facto leader of the the, the Donner Reed party. Um, he was, you know, sort of the elected, uh, chosen by the people uh, leader. Eh, some might argue that he was sort of self-appointed uh, mm -hmm. along the way. He was just one of those guys who sort of uh, liked to take charge and, um, uh, you know, the the Donner family had the the large family, and so so that's I think why a lot of folks call it the Donner Party. But um, there were uh, quite a few families: uh, the the Murphys, the Eddies, the Breens, the Kessbergs, um, the Graves family, and then a number of individuals who came along with them, including hired hands. There were dozens of um, Teamsters and um, uh, cooks and and other helpers, handymen and and other folks who came along, and let's not forget that there were lots and lots of children who came along mm. on these trips. Wow. I mean, lots of young children, 12, 10, 6, 9, 8, 
one-year-olds, infant children who came along on this trip too. The ultimate number who got stuck in the Sierra Nevada was somewhere around, I think, 87 people who were who were stuck. Uh, but the number who left uh, Springfield, Illinois, or not Springfield, the, the launching off point was uh, Independence, Missouri. Uh, and that was somewhere around you know, in the hundreds. So it was almost at that time, like a constant stream. There was every single day, uh, there was uh, wagon train after wagon train leaving Independence, Missouri, headed uh, for Oregon and California uh, during the, the, the westward migration period. So, so there were, you know, lots and lots of people. And some wagon trains moved faster than others based on, you know, what, how much stuff they had, what kind of wagons they had, what kind of people that were, were leading these teams, how many, how many oxen they had, you know, pulling these wagons. So, you know, sometimes they would move fast. Sometimes they would move slow. Some groups would, would catch up to other groups and, and, and these teams would sort of like in a NASCAR race, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's an endurance contest, not necessarily a, a speed race, you know? So it's a lot of groups catching up to other groups and rejoining old groups that they used to be with. Um, and so over time, these groups would merge with, with different groups. And that's why by the time they get to a certain, you know, point, uh, you know, Fort Bridger or, you know, uh, certain, certain forts in, in Wyoming or, or Walla Walla, for example, um, they would uh, they would maybe stay there for a week to recharge and, and replenish their supplies, or maybe they would only spend a night there and then speed along their way. Mm. And uh, and that's why groups would you know catch up to each other and things like that. So the group dynamic was always changing. The size was always changing. Um, so it's really hard to pin down exactly who is in the group uh, at any given point along the trail. The only thing we do know is who was stuck in the mountains by the time they got right. There. And would you say any of these uh, people that were part of the group had the necessary skills to lead this kind of journey? Or oh, sure. They did. Okay. So, and, and, and how harrowing was this trip? <laughs> I mean, the, the, just the day-to-day -day without yeah. even uh, any delays or getting stuck in the mountains, even before that. Yeah. Uh, I would say, uh, to answer your first question... There were lots of people in the group who had the skills uh, to to undertake these kinds of trips. Um, you know, it it was a challenge for sure. But you know, James Reed, for example, a former army officer, there were quite a few uh, folks who who served in the military, um, had the kinds of training and and discipline it took to uh, you know lead a group of people uh, across the country. Um, it probably was very difficult. Uh, to to marshal um, children and, and you know women and children uh, as opposed to disciplined soldiers. <laughs> I have three children and I'm you know I've served in the military and it is vastly different trying to get your children <laughs> ready for school uh, than it is trying to get your troops you know ready to uh, you know get ready to go where they need to go. So. But what I will say is that, uh, yeah, there, there were lots of folks who had gone on this trip a number of times. These hired teamsters, for example, had, uh, had, had driven teams of oxen uh, over the Oregon Trail uh, professionally 
for different groups. This, they were men for hire who who had done this. So uh, they were experienced in this in this way and and uh, had no problem doing this uh, uh, professionally. But uh, the you know the women and children this was a scary thing for them. They had sure. never done anything like this. Uh, and and to be perfectly honest, most of the men, the younger men especially, you know, this was a, a challenge for them. They were looking forward to proving their mettle, having never done this before. Um, a lot of the older men as well, uh, having never done this before. Um, a lot of the old women. There were a number of folks who um, you know were not necessarily up to the journey, but were coming along because their family. Uh, had decided to make this journey. Uh, Sarah Keyes was the uh, elderly mother of uh, Margaret Reed's, uh, you know, Margaret Reed was uh, James Reed's wife, and uh, Sarah had uh, tuberculosis. Wow. And she was in the latter stages of tuberculosis. But James Reed said, we're going to California anyway. And uh, unfortunately, Sarah didn't make it. She didn't yeah. make it very far outside of independence. She died uh, shortly after they left. Wow. And uh, she has a, a grave site to this day, uh, very near where they, uh, they're launching off point. Now, who was Lanford Hastings? Why <laughs> was uh, he so oh, yeah. intent on promoting this new route out yeah. west? Yeah. Lansford Hastings, <laughs> the man who allegedly discovered a new and better route. Uh, Lansford Hastings is an opportunist, I believe, uh, who, uh, you know, wanted to, uh, sell books and, uh, make a, make a little bit of money. Uh, unfortunately, I, I just don't think that Lansford had taken into account the, you know, the, the result of what his actions would, would do. Lansford was the author of the Emigrant's Guide to Oregon and California, um, he had gone over to Oregon and uh, California and come back again, allegedly had come up with a quicker way, uh, had discovered this shortcut that he, he called uh, a shortcut, which took emigrants through the Great Salt Lake Desert, as opposed to going up and around, which was the route that most of the Oregon travelers took. Mm. Um, once he made this route, which by the way, he took on his own with horses, not with wagons. Mm. Um, he documented it and then sent letters back with reporters uh, to all of the emigrants who were on the trail, telling them that he had found this great route, that they should take it, it'll cut days off their trip if not weeks that it'll save them miles and that uh he will personally guide them along the the shortcut and that he would leave them notes uh pinned to trees and and tied up you know along rocks and whatnot uh so that he they he would help them find their way um he delivered on some of those promises uh but on, you know what happened was is that those <laughs> those promises did entice a lot of folks to take his shortcut, including James Reed and the Donna Reed party. Um, they opted to take the new and better route that Lansford hmm. had promised. It uh, did not, 
unfortunately, result in a uh, new and better route. It was not shorter. In fact, it added uh, over 100 miles to wow. their journey. And it added um, weeks to their trip as well. They spent two days trying to cross the Great Salt Lake Desert, which at night was freezing and by day uh, turned into a morass so deep that their wagon wheels were stuck to the axle. Wow. Uh, it was impossible. Some of their oxen died of thirst. They couldn't find any water. Some of the uh, some of the, the emigrants abandoned their own wagons because they simply could not proceed any further. They simply gave up on everything they had and focused solely on getting out of the desert alive. Wow. Um, cursing the name of Lansford Hastings along the way. Uh, some people literally stripped off their clothes and ran naked into the desert never to be seen again because they wow. had gone crazy wow. from exhaustion um this was the beginning of the end for members of the donna reed party uh and really the point where people started to realize we've made a terrible terrible mistake wow Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Alarmist. Now, I had read that, um, and, and I believe this is before they even hit the uh, the, uh, uh, the the desert. Um, some, there had been a, 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 a some kind of quarrel between James Reed and another member of the group, John Snyder. Mm-hmm. Right. It was a fight. Uh, and eventually, uh, Reed does end up killing Snyder at some point during the trip. How right. did that shift the dynamic in the group, and how was it yeah. dealt with? Yeah, yeah. So tensions at this point, obviously, are yeah. stretched thin. Um Supplies are running low. People are nervous. They know that they are running way behind schedule. The whole group is is tense. They're not sure what is coming next. They're not sure what's around the corner. And at this point, um, one of the Teamsters that belongs to Reed, uh, named Milt Elliott, uh, loses his temper and starts whipping one of the oxen that belongs to uh, Franklin Graves. Uh, Graves, by the way, the Graves family is the the main characters in my book, Winter at Truckee Lake. Um, so the teamster who belongs, or who's working for Graves, the Graves family, uh, John Snyder, comes over and starts uh, tr- fighting with Milt Elliott. And uh, the two are quarreling. And James Reed, again, hot-headed, end-of-your-rope kind of situation, comes over with a dagger and plunges it into John Snyder, killing him. Um, The members of the party, aghast, decide at that moment despite James Reed claiming that it was self-defense and, and that he had no choice, decide they've had enough of, of James Reed uh, uh, taking matters into his own hands and making decisions for them. They decide to banish James Reed once and for all. Mm. They had tried to do that earlier, uh, but he had talked his way out of uh, that decision. And so this time they said, that's enough. You've, you've had your turn We've given you enough chances. You're done. And so they let his wife and children stay in the group, but they send him away from the group and the protection. You got to remember, um, this is hostile country. Okay. There are Native American tribes out there that are not necessarily friendly to people in their territory. Um, so being in a group of, you know, several hundred is safety. Um, so sending him out by himself is almost potentially a death sentence. Uh, He knows that, so they give him some supplies and they say, uh, you're on your own. We don't want you in our group anymore. And so he takes his supplies and he heads on forward. Uh, He goes out on his own and, uh, you know, fortunately for him, he goes to the next stop and, and, and does eventually survive, makes it to the next the next group, um, uh, the next uh, waypoint, I should say, and and eventually comes back to the group and reunites with them later. It's 
it's all downhill from there. Wow. Now, I, I, let's talk about how things just go downhill. Eventually. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's around mid-November, the party. Yeah. Where is the party? And how do they find themselves stuck in the Sierra Nevada mountains? Right. So by the time they get to the foothills of the Sierra Nevadas, the snow is already starting to fall. Hmm. Everybody is out of food. Everybody is out of supplies. Most people have uh, no oxen left. Uh, they literally are carrying what they have. There's only a couple of wagons. Um, the last draw, if you will, is that just before they head into the mountains, uh, everybody's camped out at the foothills. And uh, one morning they, they hear a gunshot and they wake up to see what happened. And somebody was cleaning a rifle. It went off and and it inadvertently shot somebody in the head and, and killed them. Um, that was just the most depressing thing anybody could have potentially even thought of. I mean, talk about bad omens of all bad omens. Yeah. Uh, nobody even nobody is even shocked at this point. Nobody's nobody's even screaming. Oh my gosh! I can't believe this happened. They literally, with the most morose of 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 demeanors, just drag the body off to the side, clean up his stuff, and pack up their campsites and move on without a word. Wow. They they head into the mountains. Um, at, by the time they reach a place called, uh, Alder Creek, um, the, the, the Donners decide, you know what, we're going to, we're going to camp here because we've got a few things we got to take care of. Um, so we're going to set up our campsite here. The snow is just continuing to fall. It keeps coming and, you know, snow piles up quick, yeah. especially in the mountains. It's getting bad. Um. The Donners actually have a, a, a I think it's a, a wagon wheel that breaks and, and George Donner's trying to fix it. While he's trying to fix it, uh, he cuts his hand. He cuts his <laughs> hand and it's not like you have Bactine handy. There's no Band-Aids, right? There's literally nothing you can do except bandage it up with a dirty rag if you have one. Um, so he knows that there's, there's a very good chance that he's going to get an infection. Um, and in their condition that they're in, their immune systems are very, very compromised. Um, so they decide to make camp at Alder Creek. The rest of the group continues forward. They go about as far as they can. They try to cross over the pass. They find it impassable. Feet of snow. Feet of snow. They cannot get these wagons over the pass. So they decide to backtrack to the lakeside. The frozen lakeside. Oof. They get they get back to Truckee Lake. Uh, they they try to make a camp. They fashion uh, some rudimentary um, uh, structures. They use what ox hide they have to build. You know to put roof over the top of these structures, and they essentially just hunker down to try to wait it out. Maybe the blizzard will pass. Maybe maybe they'll get some clear clear weather in a couple of days. That doesn't happen. The, the blizzard lasts a month. And then they start to starve. Wow. And at what point do they realize we need to send someone out for help? And, 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 and how do they, they choose those, the, those 
that group of, of, of people and how do they fare? Yeah, good question. They um, first start to um, realize when their oxen start to die. Uh, smartly, they take their oxen and they they place them in a in a in an area where they can freeze them and eat them later. Um, but they realize they don't have any food left, and so they form a party, which later became known as the Party of Forlorn Hope. Um, the they send that party out to hopefully get across the pass on foot. Uh, Franklin Graves has uh, the bright idea to make snowshoes to try to walk over the top of the snow instead of sinking into it. Um, unfortunately, uh, it, it didn't work. They didn't make it over mm. the pass and they never made it back. Uh, later, um, somebody in that party did make it through. Uh, and and did get over the pass and got to the other side to get the attention of uh, help on the other side and was able to marshal a rescue party to come back to the other uh, to where they were located, um, which is eventually how they got rescued. They got rescued uh, in the spring, uh, well, in the you know February and March. Um, in waves, there was a, a rescue party number one and two and three, um, and they had to be taken out uh, little bits at a time. But over the course of those rescues, the people who were trapped at the lake either died off or were forced to consume those who had died wow. in order to stay alive. It was literally a choice between life or death. It is not something that anybody should have to face. It is a horrific situation that nobody, hopefully, should ever have to be in. Who, who of the uh, of the group were were the survivors, and and oh. how did they do after this very traumatic yeah. experience? Yeah, um, you know, I don't have the list in front of me, but some of them did survive. How many? How, what was the number out of the 87 you said that that had or, or just about how many? About a third of them probably survived. And I, I will tell you this. It's, it's um, of the ones who did survive. Some of them went on to make their rest of their lives essentially about their ordeal. They, oh. they, they did news, you know, interviews, they, they did magazine interviews. They, they, this, this tragedy became a spectacle that captured the, the, the attention of the nation. Um, and, and some of them, you know, made a big deal about it. Uh, some of them actually were accused of murdering, you know, some of their fellow travelers wow. in order to eat them to survive. And actually had to uh, go through a trial and 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 be you know acquitted or or in some cases convicted. Um, some of them uh, just wanted to be left alone. They disappeared and never spoke of this again. Uh, and and one of those was uh, you know nine year old Nancy Graves, who was the main character in my book uh, Winter at Truckee Lake. She for the rest of her life never spoke a word about what she uh, participated in during those fateful months, uh, which is why I was able to use her as the main character in this historical fiction piece, because we're left to speculate what she might have 
undergone during this ordeal. And there were a lot of children who survived. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. In fact, uh, many of the children survived, uh, which I think goes a long way toward the resilience uh, of of children. You know, some of the younger children who were still dependent on on their, you know, their mothers, uh, uh, you know, God bless them. The the mothers who were still, you know, nursing uh, gave up their own health and bodies for their children. The children mm-hmm. survived. The mothers withered and died. Uh, uh, and, and, and there's many cases of that happening, uh, in, in this, uh, in this ordeal. Um, but yeah, the children, the children largely, uh, survived this ordeal. Um, it's just, uh, it's just a spectacular tragedy that, that took place, uh, during this winter. So unfortunately we're running out of time and we always like to ask our guest experts this question. At the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or a thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for this ill-fated trek of the Donna Reed party, who or what would that be? If I had to pick something to blame for this, I would have to say poor choices. And I say that a little bit self-servingly because my book <laughs> allows the reader to make a series of mm. choices. It's a lot like a choose-your-own-adventure book. You as the reader get to make choices that either put you in the same situation that led to the historically accurate ending or make different choices that could lead to potentially different fictional endings Um uh, based on the choices that you make. If the Donner party, the Donner Reed party had made different choices along the way, maybe they didn't take the Hastings cutoff. Maybe they didn't put uh, James Reed in charge. Maybe they left two months earlier than than they than they did. You know, maybe they didn't uh, decide to cross the Sierra Nevadas. Maybe they decided to go to Oregon instead of California. There's a lot of things that they could have done differently along the way that would have led to a different outcome. And we wouldn't be talking about this today if they had. Mm. Eric, thank you so much for for speaking with us today and uh, bringing uh, so much uh, light and information into this topic that, you know, we don't want to overlook. You bet, Rebecca. Thanks for the opportunity. And for our listeners, we're going to head over now to Patreon and discuss this even further. If you'd like to hear our post-interview discussion and final verdict, head over to Patreon and subscribe. Your support is greatly appreciated. Check out our show notes for a link or head over to patreon.com slash the alarmist. And stay tuned because next week we will be discussing the sinking of SS Princess Alice. The Alarmist. Powered by ACAST. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? 
Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.